0: but about how, what, and why we believe as we do. A time for the open-minded and a time for those willing to question what they think they know or what they may believe. Those willing to be uncertain for an hour. I'm Eldon Taylor and this is Provocative Enlightenment. All right, you're invited to join our chat room by going to ProvocativeEnlightenment.com forward slash chat. My partner, Ravinder, is in the studio and monitoring the chat room now with a big grin on her face. So, Rav, say hello to everyone out there and share your thoughts about last week's show with attorney Mike Lansley.
1: Well, hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us. I think we've got a fascinating show lined up today, but then don't we always have a fascinating show? Last week, I found interesting from two different perspectives. One is the perspective of the consumer, you know, the story that... um, He shared with us that basically said that Steve Jobs had created such a good brand that when he brought out the iPhone, although everyone thought, the not the iPhone, the iWatch, um, everyone thought that was a waste of time because you already had a watch and what are you going to do with this tiny screen? But because he has such a solid brand, people still paid attention. So I think a good marketing person can get you to think that you need something Regardless of whether you need it or not, so that part of it is interesting because um, that just makes me rethink everything. And thinking again is always a good idea. But then, from the other side of it, you know, being in business, then you you picked up some good tips too. And we have lots of lots of the people out there have their own businesses too, or they're in, involved in their company. You know their employer; they're close enough that the information there also becomes of great value too. So it was it was two-sided. It was yeah, but I found it interesting from both
0: perspectives. I thought it was a very helpful show. Period and a quotation. Uh, in this week's spotlight, I would like to once again remind you of the importance of both recognizing and accepting the inherent nature of our human fallibility when it comes to interpreting so-called facts and forming our opinions and beliefs. I've written books that cover the many ways in which we find ourselves manipulated by biases, context, framing, influence, defense mechanisms, compliance principles, and so forth. Indeed, my New York Times bestseller choices and illusions illustrates this influence from our chicken yard teachings, to the sophisticated deployment of technology designed to influence and shape our beliefs. All for the purpose of selling us a product, a platform, a politician and more. Today I wish to remind you that so-called facts do not necessarily add up to the conclusions we often form. Sound bites are not always true even if they are argued from facts. One of the best illustrations I have ever encountered of this comes from a bias known as the Texas sharpshooter fallacy. Think of it this way. If someone was paid just to shoot up the side of a barn, and then someone else drew a circle around holes that were tightly knitted close together, we might begin to think that the person who shot those holes was a real sharpshooter. The point of this is illustrated by David McRaney in his must-read book, you are not as smart. Not You are not so smart. But Greening's illustration goes this way. Abraham Lincoln and John F. Kennedy were both presidents of the United States. Elected 100 years apart. Both were shot and killed by assassins who were known by three names with 15 letters. John Wilkes Booth and Lee Harvey Oswald. And neither killer would make it to trial. Spooky, huh? It gets better. Kennedy had a secretary named Lincoln. They both were killed on a Friday while sitting next to their wives. Lincoln in the Ford Theater. Kennedy in a Lincoln made by Ford. Both men were succeeded by a man named Johnson. Andrew for Lincoln and Lyndon for Kennedy. Andrew was born in 1808. Lyndon in 1908. What are the odds? We often add up facts and draw conclusions. The conclusions may not be valid because we fail to consider all the facts, especially those that may not support our confirmation bias. If, for example, you're inclined to believe that there is no such thing as coincidence, then the Lincoln-Kennedy matter is more compelling to you than to someone not so inclined. If you take the Kennedy-Lincoln matter as a whole, you learn that there are more differences in their story than similarities. And the entire matter becomes nothing more than the analogy of our Texas sharpshooter. Now, the Texas sharpshooter fallacy is but one of 48 or more shortcuts or fallacies science has described that affect every one of us. So my advice... Consider so-called facts in light of the agenda from which they are advanced. Look for the information omitted. Remember, we all have biases, are prone to certain mental shortcuts or heuristics, and can often jump to conclusions that betray honest intelligence. My thoughts anyway, what are yours, Ravinder?
1: You know, I, I think I struggle with some of that stuff because it is so, it's so tempting I've heard the story before about Kennedy and Lincoln and, you know, the way it can be presented can just be very compelling. You had another example too. I don't remember, you you interviewed a guest, but I'm not remembering the guest or the book, but they were talking about premonitions and they talked about the probability of this person having a dream about drowning in a pool and the following day they're at a pool party and... the girl does get into trouble and so that they were looking at the probabilities of that actually being a premonition or was it just coincidence? And they went through all the math and it turned out to be total coincidence. But I I think we have a desire to believe some of this stuff. I think that influences us too. I think that's what I'm saying. Well that's part of the inherent nature of
0: bias. You know, once again uh, I'm familiar with uh, a, a, a very many people, scientists, who would dismiss that as just complete coincidence without a second thought, okay? And yet I'm also familiar with many authors in the New Age area, that, and, and they would champion that as an example of serendipity or precognition or ta da da, da. So, again, you know, we all have these biases, these biases, influence us in, in, in many, many ways, and they're, they're, they're intentionally manipulated. Our guest today has written a wonderful book, and, and we'll get into that. But when you, when you read his book, packed with examples, you see how easy it is to move the public one way or another in their belief systems. And, of course, their consumption practices, and that's consumption of information, just as much as it is of a product. All right. Every week I read some of your letters as our way of involving you while paying respect to the very important role you play in making this show successful. Last week's show featured Michael Lasky, as we mentioned at the top, and we discussed his book, The Good Brand. Beth wrote, that was a really interesting interview. I just started my own company. It is very small, but who knows? Maybe one day it will be worth something. Alan wrote, I, for one, am going to buy his book. Thanks for another truly informative show. Julie wrote, I can't get enough of provocative enlightenment. Your shows are always fresh and enlightening and cover a variety of subjects that everyone is interested in. Thanks for doing what you do. Well, thank you, Julie. Moving on, Roland wrote, Eldon, I wanted you to know the CDs are making quite a believer out of me. The one I listen to as I turn off the light at night, sleep soundly by Intertalk, I didn't get to listen to for a couple of nights. I had been sleeping great until then. Last night, I got to use the CD and slept like a baby. You dumb man. (laughs) You've no idea (laughs) of the gratitude for what you have done. Well, thank you very much, Roland. I happen to know this person, and I know how long he has had a sleeping issue, so I'm thrilled for him. Tamiya wrote, in a million years, I can never thank you enough for what Intertalk has done for me. I spent 57 years, my whole life, not even thinking I had a right to exist and treating myself accordingly. I was so out of touch with myself, I didn't know what I felt or what I wanted, only that I was hopeless and unhappy. That is changing, slowly but surely. After only eight months, I'm already starting to believe in my value, and I'm determined that I can and will make a difference. Thank you. Oh, thank you. And this one came over the phone. Sunday Goodwin wanted, wanted me to let you know that you saved her life. She has a degenerative disc disease. It became so bad she was taken to the hospital by ambulance. For six years, she was prescribed oxycodone. Then all of a sudden, her doctor was told he could not prescribe it anymore. Her doctor had to get special permission to prescribe her enough to taper off the meds. She was told to use medical marijuana instead. One of the side effects of coming off of oxycodone is suicidal thoughts. She became suicidal, came very close to committing the act. Her husband, who is a retired homicide police detective, Kept telling her it was the withdrawal from the oxycodone that was causing her suicidal thoughts. The medical marijuana facilities are 6,200 miles away. While they tried to be helpful, they had no real idea how to assist her. She was still not found. She still has not found a way to take the medical marijuana effectively. Sunday was inspired to try your Ecotech self-destructive patterns program. She plays the program twice a day. After the first day, she felt the heaviness lift off of her. This program changed her life dramatically. She asked me to give you a hug and a kiss. Because of your love of humanity and your research, she no longer has suicidal thoughts. She says, God bless you, God bless your company, and God bless your work. I think you took that one. Did you not, Ravinder?
1: I did. I did. And that's, you know what makes my job so much fun is when I'm taking those calls. And I get those kinds of calls pretty regularly. She was incredibly grateful. Um, In fact, I didn't share with you. She called back the following day and said that she had also had a great success using the Being Lucky program. She said that, you know, she always buys those scratch tickets and she doesn't ever win anything. And then on a whim, she played the Being Lucky program. And since using it, she has won the scratch tickets three times and she has the proof for it if we want it, you know. So she was really thrilled. But the the suicide part of it, you know, she was talking to me on the phone and she was close to tears about it. It was incredibly moving and she was just incredibly grateful.
0: All right, well, I'm grateful for her feedback. Um, as you say, that's what we do, why we do it. Okay, that's all the time we're going to take for letters today, but we do love your comments, so please keep them coming. You can apply by writing to me at eldon, that's E-L-D-O-N, at com, or by joining me on Facebook at Dr. Eldon Taylor. We do sincerely appreciate your thoughts and ideas, and I guess you can also just call in and talk to Ravinder or another member of the staff. They write it up and send it over to me. Now to today's show, Truth, How the Many Sides to Every Story Shape Our Reality with author Hector McDonald. I've already told you this book is a book you're going to want to get. You're going to want to read it. You're probably going to want to read it more than once. You're going to want to share it with friends. You're going to want to talk about the many examples and specifics that are in this book because sometimes that's what it takes in order to illustrate or to get through to some people about just how nuanced... uh, our language, the manipulation, the, the political environment, the product, so, well, all of it. So let me tell you a little about today's guest. Hector McDonald is an expert in business storytelling. As a strategic communications consultant, he has advised the leaders of some of the world's top corporations and in industries as diverse as financial services, telecoms, technology, and health care. He has spent much of his career exploring the ways that two completely true statements about the same thing can give wildly different impressions to the people listening. For instance, the Internet can be described as a tool to disseminate knowledge or a system that spreads misinformation and hatred. Both statements are true, but they would paint radically different pictures for a cyber novice. Hector is a graduate of Oxford University, so on that, let's get him in here. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Mr. Hector MacDonald.
2: Thank you, Elton. It's great to be here.
0: Our pleasure. I I truly did enjoy reading your book, and I think I've I've read most of them in this, Jenner, but you, you provide some clarity, and you do so for a mass audience such that I can't recommend it too highly. But Hector, we like to know three things on this show. Who is the messenger, what is the message, and of course, how do we use it? To that end, what are you passionate about and how did you become an expert on truth?
2: Those are three good questions to start with. Um, what am I passionate about? Well, in a professional sense, I guess I'm passionate about clarity in the message because my work is in in providing communication support to all kinds of businesses as you said and one of the things you see in most businesses even the the biggest grandest um, corporations in the world is that they're often very poor at explaining themselves even to their own people so what i try to do is is bring that clarity and often brevity to you know to the key messages that these businesses need to get out there to their own people and to their stakeholders in the wider world um, beyond that, I'm passionate about all kinds of things, from wildlife to photography to opera to Africa, where I grew up. Um, uh, you, can, you can ask me anything about any of those things you like, um, but you probably want to stick on the subject of truth. Um, probably, <laughs> truth. This this came this this the idea for this book, the sort of the imperative for this book came out of the work I was doing, um, particularly in creating narratives for businesses like Pfizer and Dupont. Barclays, um, even the, the Bank of England, um, where for some years I've been helping these organizations explain themselves by using storytelling, by using narrative formats to get across where businesses are starting and where they're trying to get to. And it came clear to me that, you know, these fun, fantastically complex organizations, there's hundreds of thousands of things you could say about them. And indeed, when I interviewed their, their leading executives, they did say thousands and thousands of things about what was going on in the business and it was my job to distill all that down to maybe 30 sentences to capture everything about the the present and future of that organization and and it occurred to me that that gave me kind of tremendous power to 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 take the story in a particular direction by leaving out most of the things i'd heard and cherry picking if you like the things that i felt would give the strongest sense of where this business is trying to get to And that, of course, made me think, well, okay, I'm trying to do this constructively and ethically. But, of course, smart communicators can use the same techniques, do all kinds of things to to pull the wool over people's eyes, to mislead us. And, of course, we see this in politics, in marketing, in campaigning, in all forms of life. And that's really what got me just obsessed with the subject of how do people use truthful statements to mislead us or at least to give us a very selective impression of reality.
0: Yeah. Uh, we'll get into that in some spe- specificity before we're through with the show. But you heard today's spotlight, Hector. What have I got wrong? Oh,
2: I think you're 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 spot on with the spotlight. I mean, I I was very interested, um, you know, reading a little bit about you beforehand about uh, you know your your interests in 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 changing people's beliefs, and of course that's partly tied to to facts, but of course many of the things that, that we care about and, and, and concern us most strongly are, if you like, non-provable beliefs. And I, I, I think, you know, your focus on how we internalize facts and how we then interpret them and how perhaps other people's ways of communicating those facts to us can shape the way that we receive and, and understand those facts is is the real key here. And we see this so much in the political discourse of both the United States around, around Trump's election and around brexit in in the uk um not to mention the wave of populism that's running through europe at the moment um that i i i think it's a really critical issue that all of us you know uh, uh, of any interest of, of 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 the political situation with any interest in the way our society is going we need to take this stuff very seriously
0: okay let's let's talk about your book in your book you state that truth can be used to lie now for most people that's that, you know, that's an oxymoronic kind of a statement. Um, unpack that for us. Provide an example or two for our audience as you
2: do in your book, please. Sure. So, so perhaps one of the simplest examples comes from um, Colgate, Colgate Toothpaste, which I, I think all your listeners will be familiar with. Uh, in the UK, certainly, they've been running for many years a series of advertisements, um, commercials on TV and on billboards saying um, – More than 80% of dentists recommend Colgate toothpaste. Now, this is a true statement that they derive from, as you would imagine, a a well, a well-crafted survey, scientifically conducted. Um, But you might think that the question they asked in that survey was ringing up dentists and saying, "Which brand of toothpaste would you recommend?" And that isn't the question that they asked. The question they asked was, "Which brands, plural, would you recommend?" In other words, Mm -hmm. they were inviting dentists to name a whole lot of brands of toothpaste that they thought were acceptable and that they were happy to have their, you know, their, their customers, their patients use. So of course, most dentists named a whole bunch of different, um, toothpaste, but Colgate ignored all of the other toothpaste that were, were named and just said, well, look, you know, eight out of 10 dentists have named us among all those other toothpaste. So, so we can run these adverts, which they did for many years saying that more than 80% of dentists recommend uh, Colgate toothpaste. Now. That is a true statement, but the Advertising Standards Authority in the UK recently banned Colgate from using this advertisement claim anymore because they saw that it was so misleading. It gave people completely the wrong impression of the, of the survey that had been done and gave people completely the wrong impression of what dentists actually thought of Colgate.
0: You know, one of the things that I think, I mean, that's a wonderful story and a perfect example of the question I asked one of the things that I think people often miss here is the influence that that campaign, that kind of statement can have, not just on the consumer, but in this instance, just Colgate on dentists. I, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine who was a dentist. I was telling him about your book. He has the same kind of interest in that general area I do. And he said, I recommend Colgate, but I thought dentists recommended Colgate. So, <clears throat> What do you think about the influence of how this kind of information impacts society as well as the professionals who are supposedly being the ones that are recommending, who want to join their peer group and recommend it as well?
2: Well, I think that's exactly right. We we often think, well, the, the damage done is just the direct misinformation, the direct misleading that's that's taken place in the moment. But, of course, we build up through misleading one person, we build up a whole network of of misinformation that's spreading around the world, drawing from that. And I think, you know, I I actually use Colgate all the time, and I think I do that because I grew up as a kid with these adverts, and it's it's so deeply embedded in me that even though I know that was essentially a lie, um, I still use the stuff. But I guess what I'd say is, you know, that's just a kind of metaphor, if you like, for much more serious issues. So in the book I talk about, I go back to 2002 and George W. Bush's speech uh, that he made in Cincinnati, where Mm -hmm. he linked Iraq and Al-Qaeda. And this, of course, was a few months after Al-Qaeda attacked um, the World Trade Center on 9-11. And it was a few months before uh, the United States along with the UK and various other nations went to war and invaded Iraq. So this was a critical speech basically justifying making the case for war. Um, and he 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 had this critical passage in the speech where he linked Iraq and Al Qaeda in sentence after sentence with phrases like we know that Iraq and the Al Qaeda terrorist network share a common enemy the United States of America sentences like that which 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 were all true. But they gave the impression that Iraq and al-Qaeda were working together, that, they were, that Iraq was financing al-Qaeda, that al-Qaeda was operating out of Iraq, and that they were planning an attack on the United States together. None of those things were true. But, of course, George Bush didn't say any of those things. He just let his audience kind of infer those conclusions from the statements that he made. It was a very carefully crafted speech to give a very definite impression of reality that wasn't true.
0: You you, you go down that path. I'm reminded of so many things, but most of them were and and have been shown to be over lies, whether they were intentional or at least one of them was intentional. And we'll stay on the truth. I'd like the way you have approached this as opposed to just the manipulation and the video news releases and the let's win their hearts and minds kind of stuff that goes on at governmental levels. In your introduction, sir, you state that you expect some backlash have you received any as yet? And if so, you know, share it with us. What have you encountered?
2: Well, actually, the backlash I look forward to in the book is positive backlash against the, the 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 post-truth phenomenon, against the fake news, against the alternative facts, a sense that truth matters and that we need to fight for it. Because, you know, we have been living for the last two or three years through this amazing period where people's political allegiances, people's Um, religious allegiances and their their pre-existing beliefs were more important than 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 the facts Um, and I know you used the phrase in your introduction so-called facts well I I I tend to differ from you a little bit there I do I do respect you know facts as facts but I think we both agree on the idea that those facts can be interpreted and presented in all kinds of misleading ways so so we, we we're on the same page on that but I—that's I, the backlash I'm—I'm I'm looking forward to, and I think we're seeing it a little bit. I think we're seeing, you know, the the doggedness of the Mueller investigation. I think we're seeing the uh, people holding Facebook to account for, um, you know, the fake news that was spread there. Uh, Facebook being called up, Zuckerberg being called up uh, to, to to testify in Congress. You know, I think we're seeing a number of cases like this where where society, where government, where uh, law and order. Um, the Justice Department, are are trying to fight back against the widespread um, corruption of, of our understanding of the facts.
0: Hold everybody accountable for what it is that they say or don't say if they're making a representation that's generally false. Right? Yeah. All right. We're speaking with Hector McDonald about his work and book, Truth. Great book. You've got to read it. I highly recommend it. You can learn more about our guest by visiting his website at hectormcdonald.com. Now, we have a video for you today featuring our guest discussing the many sides of truth and reality, and you can catch that in our chat room by simply going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. Do stay tuned. We'll be right back.
3: You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. Many dogs and cats spend endless days indoors staring at the wall, living for the moment when you will come home and tell them you love them, take them out, and make a fuss over them. Dogs and cats need physical exercise and mental stimulation, things to do and think about in order to be healthy and happy. Please set time aside for them and give them a real life and real love. For more information, please contact People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals at 757-622-PETA or helpinganimals.com. That's helpinganimals.com. Change has never been easier. Whether you wish to lose weight, stop smoking, build better relationships, become creative, enjoy ultra-prosperity, or simply relax and promote self-healing, InnerTalk has been repeatedly demonstrated effective in the most rigorous of scientific studies. Our customers love InnerTalk. Sean wrote, I have struggled with bulimia for over 30 years and have never been able to lose weight without restoring to it, until I used Inner Talk. Vicki wrote, My hubby has been using the Stop Snoring CD, and already his dangerous and raucous snoring levels have stopped. Celeste wrote, I recently graduated from Taft Law School with honors. I'm writing to tell you how much your Inner Talk CD, Excel in Exams, has helped me. With over 300 titles to choose from, there is something for everyone. Check it out today by going to intertalk.com.
0: People everywhere are getting to know Earthly Suds Company, the small batch soap artisans on the coast of Maine. Jennifer Rowland, you founded Earthly Suds 13 years ago. What makes your soap different and better than soap from a grocery store?
3: Okay, so our soaps are made of natural ingredients like olive oil, coconut oil, and shea butter, just to name a few. Unlike commercially made soaps, ours don't contain any waxes, detergents, parabens, or sodium lauryl sulfates.
0: The earthlysuds.com soaps are beautiful to look at too. What are
4: some of your most popular?
3: Our goat milk bars called Island Sunrise and Raspberry and Cream are two of the favorites for the ladies while Northern Woods is probably our most popular one for men.
0: So how easy is it to order on EarthlySuds.com?
3: It's very easy. Just visit our website, www.EarthlySuds.com, and also like us on Facebook to keep up with our event schedule for craft shows we'll be attending.
0: Visit now, EarthlySuds.com, because good soap doesn't have to be boring.
4: A silent battle has been raging for the territory of your mind. Like a virulent virus, the effects are spreading. In Gotcha, Eldon Taylor explores the 24-7 bombardment of information designed to manage your thinking. He demonstrates how new sound bites are championed into personal awareness, becoming memes of the culture. And this results in framing and reframing classical positions causing adjustments to personal values and history itself. Your every decision process is being managed and manipulated. Gotcha exposes the arrival of the Orwellian age in full-blown technicolor. In laying bare the current uses of the many sophisticated techniques, Eldon reveals what it is we need to do in order to avoid allowing others to puppet our thoughts. For details, go to eldentaylor.com backslash gotcha. The great courses cover a broad array of university-level disciplines. The lectures in each course are either 30 or 45 minutes long. By
0: listening for less than an hour a day, you can finish even the longest course in just weeks. Browse our catalog or website at thegreatcourses.com and imagine how much you could learn if you spent just 30 minutes a day for the next year in the best college classrooms in the world. The lecturers are university professors carefully selected by the great courses and its customers for intellectual distinction and teaching
4: excellence. Hi, this is Bill Maher. I can find humor in almost anything, but one thing I never laugh
2: about is cruelty to animals. If you don't get the joke either, write People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, 501 Front Street, Norfolk, Virginia, 23510. Hi, I'm Peter Singer. Many people would like to help those in great need in developing countries, but they don't really know whether a donation will do good. They wonder if the money will get to the people who need it. Now you can find the best organisations by going to www.thelifeyoucansave.org and clicking on Where to Donate. The Life You Can Save doesn't take any money from the organisations it recommends. It's simply trying to do the best it can. Thank you.
0: Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Alvin Taylor. Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're speaking with Hector McDonald about his work and book, The Truth, How the Many Sides to Every Story Shape Our Reality. A great read. I highly recommend it again. You can learn more about our guest by visiting his website at HectorMcDonald.com. Okay, every week... We ask our guests for their favorite music, music that has some real meaning to them. Music psychology is not just a hobby of mine, but it's a field of research with practical relevance in many areas, including intelligence, creativity, personality, and social behavior. So, Hector, you have chosen Periodically Double or Triple, performed by Yola Tango. Tell us, why is this music important to you, and how does it inform us about who you are? (laughs)
2: <laughs> oh dear, that's a dangerous question um, I think I was, I was just so so delighted to find the song that referenced Proust in the very first line I just think that's wonderful um, <laughs> I, I have read a bit of Proust, so, so this isn't me But it's, um, it's, it's a great start And I think the idea of a song that focuses on seeing double or triple it was quite, it, it felt like that was the right kind of theme for this talk Um, because of course, you know, that is a big part of what we're discussing here. That, that, that with the many, you know, complex sort of, um, uh, array of truths out there to pick from, you end up seeing double or triple all the time. If you pay attention to all the different things that are going on, because, because there's not that simple narrative that we, that we need from life. If you actually start to pay attention to all the facts, all the things that are going on. So I liked it for that reason.
0: That's a right really good answer. Okay, so I'll end up with a hole in my brain because of what's going I love the lyrics to that song. It's got a great beat too. All right. You suggest that there's an ethical hierarchy to truth. I think mean, most people, you know, I mean we're educated in such a way that truth is truth. And, you know, there are all kinds of folks that argue I've got my truth, you know, and my truth says. What do you mean by an ethical hierarchy to truth? You know, unpack that for us, will you?
2: Well, truth is, truth is, it's a, it's, is it a virtue? I'm not sure it is, but it's, it's a, it's, it's, it's a desirable thing. We all understand that it's a desirable thing and telling the truth is desirable. And in many cultures is considered ethically the right thing to do. It's considered morally good. Um, But there are other, there are other morals. There are other desirable things which may trump truth from time to time. And we see that particularly, um, when groups need to subscribe to a particular belief in order to keep their, their group together. If a truth comes along that, uh, that challenges that belief, then the integrity of the group may be threatened by that truth. And actually in those cases, some people may choose to say, do you know what, it's more important to keep this group together to keep it functioning. And so we need to stick to our belief, even in the face of, 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 of new scientific facts, for example, that may be uh, rather inconvenient for that belief. So we see this with religion quite a lot. We see this with political parties. I'm fascinated by one fact out of the, out of the states, which is that uh, apparently the best predictor of whether someone accepts the science of climate change is not whether or not they have a scientific education. It's not whether or not they uh, love the environment. It's not whether they read a particular type of newspaper. The best predictor of whether an American accepts the science of climate change is whether they're Republican or Democrat. Now that should have nothing to do with their understanding of climate change and yet it now has everything to do with it. Um, So I, I think that kind of that kind of connection between our interpretation and acceptance of certain facts with our belief systems and the and the groups that, that, that stand behind those belief systems and make those belief systems so important to us, is a really critical um, area, which I think, you know, your own research has, has touched on that, Eldon, and I'd be fascinated to hear, you know, how, how, how you've looked at this issue of how we how we manage our beliefs in the face of of, of, of different facts of truths that emerge that may challenge those beliefs.
0: You know, I might even suggest to you, Hector, and I don't know, you, you, I'm not putting words in your mouth at all, Jump to, I mean, get in there right away, but um, the reason you would have a Republican um, resist climate change is because we want to hear what we want to hear. So they're going to listen to or view conservative talk um, networks, whether they're radio or television, they're going to read conservative publications and the leadership and those people most local, they're going to continually repeat that, you know, it's a natural this, that, or the other. It's not man-caused or it's cyclical and and, and on and on. Uh, So I think what you observe when you see that difference, which, as you point out, shouldn't matter when it comes to is two plus two four, uh, just a matter of science. In fact, what you see is they're the product of the information they've consumed, and and they've chosen to consume the information they want to hear.
2: I think that's right, and 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 also it has a lot to do with what the other side is saying. So, you know, America had eight years of a president that was very focused on climate change, and very concerned about climate change. And so those Americans who, for whatever reason, hated Obama or or, you know, objected to him on other reasons, on other grounds, hearing him talk about climate change all the time, almost certainly didn't do the climate change agenda very much good for those individuals. But, you know, I'm not I'm not here. I'm not coming on your show to discuss climate change, the rights and wrongs of it. But I did right. look at it in the book on uh, in the chapter on predictions to discuss quite how complex it is. So. You know the, those people who have accepted the science of climate change and 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 are full you know climate change warriors won't like me very much for that either because I go into the the complexities of, of our predictions about what's going to happen to the climate and show you know how it is a, a, a really uncertain science and, 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 no, no. and no reputable scientists would claim they know exactly what for example cloud conditions are going to be in 50 years time but that's going to make all the difference in the world to whether or not temperatures go up
0: right now, no, and I agree with you, and I, I, I recall that from your book. Uh, what I meant, I guess, what I was intending to apply, imply was a Republican agenda at this particular point in time is to you know, take a lot of these restrictions that have existed on environmental controls and you know open them up so that there's uh, opportunity, and I'll put that word in quotation marks for the economy to grow so you've one yeah. president and, and 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 that's the agenda side of it and so to me i'm always suspect of of what's the agenda behind the argument but that leads me and, you know i don't want to get away from your book that leads me to what you define as competing truths and i think that's that's important for us to understand particularly where we are right now because as you point out, the climate issue is is very complicated and both sides can take truths and form an argument, but the truths are competing truths. Flesh I mean, flesh out for us what you mean by competing truths.
2: Absolutely. So so this comes back to where we began really, which is this idea that, you know, a a, a statement like more than eighty percent of dentists recommend Colgate is a truth, but a competing truth is that most dentists recommend a whole bunch of different toothpaste and they don't have any particular preference for Colgate. Now, those are two true statements, but they compete with each other in the sense that the impression they give is contradictory. And what I've shown in the book, I hope, is that in most situations, um, talking about even quite simple issues, there are thousands of competing truths. And a, a skilled communicator with a particular agenda, you're quite right, Eldon, to focus on the agenda, can select, very carefully select their competing truth that will most successfully further their agenda. And that agenda may be positive and constructive. So I like to think that the work I do in business communications is about helping companies, you know, get their employees more engaged, more interested in the work, um, help them align a business to be more successful. Um, But that's, you know, so I think that's a constructive and ethical agenda. But of course, uh, a politician who's trying to um, persuade all of the, Hung- the Hungarians, for example, to to hate immigrants, which is what's going on in Hungarian government at the moment, by putting billboards up saying very selective truths about Hungary about uh, you know the the refugees passing through Hungary, um, is 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 a really quite negative thing, and 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 can be considered fairly barbaric. So you know we 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 all have our own agenda. There's nothing wrong with having your own agenda, but the question is, are you ethically selecting? Um, competing truths that give at least a fair representation of reality rather than a very distorted one. There we go. That's, you know,
0: that to me is, that's exactly what I took out of your book by the meaning of an ethical hierarchy to the truths. So and you have these competing truths, can you set aside your personal agenda and tell the whole story uh, so that people can make up their mind or at least, at the very least, don't cherry pick the truths that you're going to set out there And uh, utilize those to win some point or argument that is uh, purely selfish and not in the best interest of of humanity. Um, Again, it's a great book. I loved your book. I found it inspiring. I found it easy to read. I find it hard to put down. So we recently did a show, uh, Hector, on intellectual humility. Uh, Does using the right truth have anything to do with intellectual humility?
2: that's a really interesting question i i'd like to go back and listen to that show because it's it's so so one thing i as i get older i i find that i'm more and more concerned about the stuff i don't know than the stuff i do and i guess that's that is a form of intellectual humility that perhaps i'm yes. growing into um and of course that reflects this multitude of truths out there which you know we're only sort of scraping and surface of i sort of am starting to see knowledge and and understanding of the world like a kind of Massive dark cathedral, and here I am with a little flashlight, you know, in some in, in some corner of that cathedral, and then my flashlight is is illuminating a few objects here and a few objects there, and if I'm lucky, the light will linger long enough that I remember some of that stuff. But there's a whole cathedral beyond of of all kinds of stuff I don't know, um, all those you know truths out there that could put a completely different understanding and spin on 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 my perception of the world. So, perhaps that's a, a form of intellectual humi- uh, humility, recognizing that, you know, that great dark cathedral out there that I, that I haven't yet understood, um, but which, which, you know, may completely change my perception of the way the world works. Yeah, Plato's cave, that's what your analogy just reminded me of, the shadows <laughs> on the wall. All
0: right, which let's talk about God, mindsets. Yeah. Um, you spend a good deal of time talking about mindsets in your book, and that's an important aspect for us all to understand. And the, their flexibility at any given point in time. So, share with us your definition of what a mindset is, and then just how flexible are they?
2: Well, so uh, different people have different, you know, different definitions as you'd expect of mindset. And there are practitioners in this business um, that, that, that all kinds of people will will determine it in a different way. But my understanding of a mindset is it's the it's the the set of beliefs and understandings and, and perhaps facts that you've assembled around a particular issue. Um, and and they give you a sense of the world um, relevant to that particular issue. So uh, it might be about Iraq and Al Qaeda. in that speech we talked about earlier, it might be about, you know, what toothpaste are good. But you form a sort of mindset based on the selective facts that the selective truths that, that you hear and to start with of course when you when you start to hear um, information about a particular issue you're pretty relaxed about you know what you think about it so the first person to tell you something will probably influence you quite strongly on that issue but gradually as you as you accumulate more and more facts and perhaps you align yourself with a group with a set of beliefs around that issue your mindset hardens and you come to form this set of beliefs ideas and opinions and you don't let go of it so even then if more information comes along um which perhaps contradicts it and, and would otherwise have altered your mindset you know you don't let go of that existing mindset and so the things that we've tended to know about for quite a long time maybe it's something that we studied when we were in college or maybe it's something that we you know we we heard about on tv when we were kids We We're fairly fixed-minded about that stuff whereas whereas new issues that come along whether it's about driverless cars Maybe or you know, I talk about um, Ethical issues are arising in our time like um, um, uh, Offering organ donation by social media, you know, these are issues which we don't really have a fixed opinion about yet because they're so new So we can form you know, we can be influenced Our, our mindsets can be shaped by those around us But, of course, you know, in a few years' time, we'll have a very definite view on what we think about these things, and and it'll be harder for people to change them.
0: You you know, I have seen, and not that long ago, uh, this kind of storyline play out. Um, And, you know, it seems to me that we end up divided no matter what we do because people take different sides of the issues – and, and, and they advance the, the facts of that side, and those folks that, you know, tune in or listen to a particular compatible mindset, if you will, are reinforced and or taught what to think or believe. And so it seems to me, Hector, and I don't know, I'm just throwing this out, but it seems to me that. It's almost necessary for us today to go listen to something we don't want to listen to, to go view the other side, to hear it completely out. Um, to, if there's someone we know that uh, has the opposite view, to actually have them download I mean, why they have that. What What, what is it based on uh, as opposed to just have this monoideism that keeps us entrenched in reinforcing what we want to believe fair enough or false
2: i think that's absolutely right it takes discipline though doesn't it it takes you know determination to learn and a determination to you know to to move your thinking on to to do that because it's not comfortable at all i'll give you an example from my own life i i think i said i I grew up in kenya in africa which was you know a very kind of post-colonial environment it was a british colony which you know i i was born there 10 years after independence but still lots of white people drinking gin and tonics and sitting in the club and all that kind of thing Mm -hmm. and and so i guess i grew up with quite a sort of rose-tinted idea of british colonialism that you know we came to these countries and brought them railways and law courts and language and all these kind of things um or at least writing um and and that was a generally positive thing but of course other people feel rather differently about imperialism and, and colonial projects like the British and the French, um, used all over the world. And, and I've had to kind of reeducate myself a little bit by trying to understand why people are so angry about Cecil Rhodes or about this or that. And it's, you know, you start to read into the subject and it, it becomes clear, you know, what some of the crimes committed in the name of imperialism were and, and uh, why it was probably a very good thing that we got, you know, had to leave all these countries and, and, and grant independence and why, you know, maybe even the claims for reparations, which are going on at the moment, maybe there is something to that. But but that was a very uncomfortable learning process for me as a sort of child of post-colonial empire. that um, the 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 that sort of shook my mindset that I'd grown up with in a very comfortable way. So yeah, I think it's it's something we can all we can all look into our souls and say, what is it that we hold most dear that, that perhaps other people would disagree about? And let's try and understand their point of view.
0: Amen, I agree, sir, so much. You separate those folks with agendas in three categories advocates, misinformers, and misleaders. What do you mean by that? And how do we recognize which sort or what sort of communicator it is that we're paying attention to?
2: That's right. And these are not fixed categories because of course depending on your, your ethics and your beliefs, um, you may be an advocate or you may be a misleader. So what do I mean by those things? An advocate is someone who is setting out to bring a, a constructive message to people, um, an ethical communication. They may be selective with their truth, but they're trying to do it to maybe inspire an army or engage a, a workforce or, or get kids to eat their vegetables or whatever it may be. They're using a particular set of truths uh, in order to, to achieve that kind of constructive goal. So that's an advocate. The opposite, of course, is a misleader who is someone who is using truths in order not to get, you know, thrown in jail or, or 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 you know lose their job or whatever. But they're using truths in a very disingenuous way to deliberately give people a false impression of reality. Misinformers is a is a sort of midway position, which is a lot of us find ourselves, and we talked about this a little bit earlier. We we find ourselves passing on information which we believe to be true, and in fact we are passing on truths, but we're We've got the interpretation wrong and i opened the book with a with a discussion of 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 quinoa economics which is quite a bizarre place to start any book but i I think it's a very effective way of showing how a large part of the western world particularly kind of you know bleeding heart liberals got got completely the wrong end of the stick with regard to whether or not eating quinoa was bad for the people who were growing it um there was this sort of myth that grew up that said because quinoa has got more expensive in bolivia and peru so that local people are finding it hard to buy it we're somehow responsible for that and we should stop eating it in the West. Now, of course, any economist will tell you that's a really bad idea that, you know, we're sending valuable foreign exchange to these fairly poor communities, which they're using to buy other foods like chicken and you know beef or whatever it may be, but a, a lot of people in in the UK and America and Canada stopped eating quinoa because they believed they were harming the people in those in those uh, poor regions of Bolivia and Peru. So those are that's what I mean by misinformers: people who are you know not trying to set out with a negative agenda to to mislead us, but they just get the wrong end of the stick and they end up leading people the wrong way by by putting out wrong information.
0: That's actually a very powerful example, and one I have shared on more than one occasion with people close to me. Aha. Yeah, I, I've got so <laughs> many more questions with you. You know, I mean, uh, one of the things that I wanted to get to most specifically, I'm just going to leave dangling with our audience. Because in your book, you say, Change what people want, and you change the world. Now, you're going to have to go get the book to understand how important that statement is. Instead of answering my question, Hector, in about 30 seconds, please share with our audience where they can learn more about you, get the book, read your blog.
2: That's very kind, I'm, uh The book should be available in all good bookstores in, in, in the U.S. and elsewhere. Uh, obviously, online retailers as well. Truth, uh, How the Many Sides to Every Story Shape Our Reality by Hector MacDonald. And my website is HectorMcDonald.com. Um, I'm not very good on social media, but you will find me on Twitter and, and, and Facebook if you really want to, and I, I do occasionally post there. But uh, the, the book is everything I have to say on the subject for the moment, and I, and I hope people enjoy it.
0: It's a marvelous book, and I know they will. And I want to thank you, Hector, for uh, writing it, for the work that you do, and for your willingness to share things with us. I have so many more questions. We're apt to invite you back. Well, we've come to the end of another episode of Provocative Enlightenment. I want to thank all of you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed our show, and we'll join us again next week, same time, same place. Until then, wherever you are in the world, remember, believing in yourself always matters. Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness Research and other sponsors. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and appears on other networks. For schedule of show times, visit provocativeenlightenment.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, write to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com.